You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, It is so good to be with you. Everybody inside on the patio, on the lawn, on the live stream. We were a little worried the live stream wasn't going to work for a second week in a row, but I think it's live right now. So welcome all of you. So glad you guys are with us. A couple details to just follow up on there. Uh, The 4th of July is happening next week, and I know you're all aware because you've heard the fireworks going off already, right? I mean, they give you an early warning system in, in Huntington Beach, and it'll go on for long after the event has finished out, right? I actually ran into somebody from the church who was at the veterinarian. We were going to dinner, and they were buying meds for their dog for the 4th of July. I said, you're going to have to get two months' worth of meds to, like, satisfy this dog during all the fireworks that are going to be going off every single night. But it's such a big deal that, yes, the senior center is closed, so we're hosting over at the warehouse because we are not going to skip one week that we could possibly meet in person after this last year. So join us for that family-style service at 10 a.m. Please don't forget, anytime there's one of those unholy fireworks going off, let that be a reminder of the holy gathering of God's people at 10 a.m. If you show up at 10.30 here or try to, you're going to be missing the entire service basically over there. So 10 10 o'clock over at the warehouse, we're going to have a great service together continuing in the book of Matthew. Also want to invite you over to community group launch tomorrow night. I'm going to be hosting it alongside Pastor Brock at the warehouse. A great opportunity for you guys to jump into fellowship in this community, get to know some other people. Uh, Don't worry, if you don't know anyone there, you know Pastor Brock, you know myself, okay? So we'll make it normal for you, even if it feels a little bit awkward. It's going to be a great night. I also wanted to update you as to something I was telling you guys to pray about. Uh, I was telling you to pray for this Serve City meeting that we were hosting for pastors in the city, uh, to invite them into this collaborative work that we could do together to serve our neighbors and proclaim the name of Jesus. And uh, it turns out, basically, every lead pastor was going on vacation last week. I didn't get the memo. I'm still working. I'm still here. But uh, they sent a lot of support staff. But that's not a problem because we had already about 10 churches from the past that have been collaborating with us for years. And there were five new churches represented. And they're all stepping into this collaborative. Also, as a result of that meeting... And the fact that some couldn't make it, now I have one-on-one meetings with some of the largest churches in the city uh, that have never participated in the collaborative before, saying, all right, we want to know about it. We'd like to be involved moving forward as well. So can we praise God for that? Because what's so cool is I asked for their time. I said, will you devote time to gathering together as pastors just a few times a year? Come on, guys. We can do it. You can offer three or four hours of your year for unity across the churches in the city, okay? It's hard to say no to that. I said, talent, you need to send your support staff, your key volunteers, those who are involved in all the initiatives that we're going to be tackling in the years to come. They said yes to that. And I said, you got to give to it too. We want this to be funded from among the churches. So I asked for their treasure as well. You know, you guys get asked to give all the time, right? It's time for the churches to give to something greater than themselves. And they all said yes. They all said yes. So that means that this isn't just a unity in word. This is a unity that is happening in deed. I'm so excited for what's going to occur in the months and years to come through this collaborative. 
Uh, but I want you to know, be on the lookout, because the first thing that we want to do together is to gather together to pray, because that's going to be the foundation of everything that we do moving forward that's going to give us that kingdom vision beyond anything that we're doing specifically as churches. So be on the lookout for that citywide prayer gathering that we want to begin in the next couple months, that once-a-month gathering. Please participate, jump in, be a part of the movement of what God is up to in the city. And i got to tell you, if I could just confess some sin for a moment. Will you receive my sin? Yes, pastors also sin. I was driving to church one Sunday, to our gathering that is, and I passed by a community and saw that their parking lot was full, and I began to feel, feel a bit of envy for that community, because I don't know if you know our story here at Branches, but we're still at about 60% of our pre-COVID attendance, so it stung a little bit to see this parking lot that was full, and I started to you know, commiserate with myself, you know, what's the deal? What's going on? Why are they full? And we're struggling, you know? Don't people know what's going on here? Can't people see what God is doing? And the Lord just stopped me in my tracks. He said, Andrew, you're filled with envy. You don't get the point of my kingdom. You should be driving by celebrating that their parking lot is full. You should be praying for the benefit of that church community. And immediately my heart began to shift. And I started to say, well, Lord, thank you that they're thriving. Thank you that I believe that the gospel is being preached in that community, that disciples are being made. Would you continue to grow that work? And so I want to invite you into that simple application. Anytime you drive by a church in the city of Huntington Beach, would you pray for that church? It turns out there's probably about 80 churches in the city of Huntington Beach. That means you can't drive more than a couple blocks without running into a church. All right, You're going to be praying a lot. This is just going to lift that discipline in your life. But you know what I'm saying is just, you know, lift up these simple prayers of, Lord, would you encourage the pastor of that community so he stays faithful in his role? Would they preach the gospel faithfully? Would they be making disciples? Would there be salvations in that community? I think that's one way that we can all carry this banner of unity in the city as we're all seeking that revival and transformation of this community around us. Amen? Can you guys do that? Yeah, amen. All right, let's do that. And I'll remind you as I get reminded by the Lord in my own envious heart. All right, let's jump into Matthew chapter 9. Enough with the pleasantries this morning. Let's get into God's Word. I love that each week I don't need to dress up anything in God's Word. We get to read it. We get to study it. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to speak. Every single time that we're gathering together, if we're relying on the Word, we're hearing from the Lord for each of our lives. Okay, That's the re wonderful reliability of just working through a gospel. And here we are in Matthew chapter 9. Last week, we looked at this episode where Jesus healed a paralyzed individual. It, it wasn't primarily a healing of paralysis, but a healing from sin that was the most miraculous part of that story. And in that scenario, we saw in the way that Jesus was relating to this individual... And in the fact that he declares forgiveness of sin simply for the mere sight of faith, right? It wasn't like a full-blown expression of faith. It's like they just brought the paralyzed man to him. He said, oh, on account of that faith, your sins are forgiven and you're going to walk. You know, we saw just how loving our Heavenly Father is in the example of Jesus. Now, that concentration of mercy that exists in Jesus is something that's going to continue on into this week. And we're going to find that... He continues to draw the unconventional to himself while he repels the stuffy and the skeptics. All right, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. Let's read together. 
As Jesus went on from there, that is from the healing of the paralyzed man, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." I just got to share that as soon as I got done reading this passage in preparation for this week, I was left with this impression, and I got to share it with you. I love Jesus. I love God. I love the way that he's constantly repelling the self-righteous. Those who've made relationship with God an empty religion. You know, when I felt called into the pastorate, it wasn't because I wanted to be up on a stage preaching sermons, getting little gold stars in the institution of the church. Look how spiritual he is. I don't think I get any extra credit for standing on a stage and preaching sermons, all right? And I didn't want those gold stars. What I was driven by was this desire to see people who were far from God encounter God and begin to follow after him. And the reason that was my heart is because that was the example of Jesus over and over again to me in the Gospels. Case in point, this passage right here. It all begins with Jesus passing by Matthew, otherwise known as Levi, who's at his tax collector's booth. Now, the Jews at this time were ruled by a variety of Roman governors. The Jewish lands had been split into these different territories. And Galilee, this rural area of Capernaum, it wasn't taxed like California-style taxes, all right? You guys know what I mean? I mean, like, highly taxed. That was Judea. That was Jerusalem. That was the more urban areas in the Jewish lands. But they were still taxed. And it's likely that this tax booth that Matthew is sitting at is right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, where they would actually have, you know, goods being transported through. So they're charging customs duties on all these things that are being brought to other foreign lands from that place. And the Jews didn't like taxes, all right? Who likes taxes? No one likes taxes, right? They're no exception. All of us are like, we don't like taxes. Some of you are like, you know, political joke here. I know some people who like taxes. You know, you can fill in the blank on that one. No, I mean, in general, right? We don't like taxes, but that wasn't the real rub here in this situation. See, the Jews didn't like taxes, but they hated the Romans. 
They hated these godless Gentiles ruling over them, so much so that about 30 or 40 years after the time of Jesus, the Jewish-Roman wars would begin. And it was a series of wars. That's how great the conflict was. The first of which would result in the second temple of the Jews being destroyed, the one that's now standing during the time of Jesus. So Matthew, for context, he's employed by the enemy. He's considered to be a traitor. Okay, it's not just that he's taxing his brothers that causes this friction. It's the fact that he's complicit with the evil empire of the Romans. And this is the guy that Jesus handpicks for his tight-knit band of disciples. He's adding this individual, you know, to the already spectacular bunch of fishermen, right? The irrelevant and unspectacular fishermen. Now to that group, he's added this nation betrayer. Apparently, this is cause for celebration for Matthew, because the last time he got picked for anything was to win the award for most likely to be killed by his countrymen. Like that, that was like his status among the crews. So he says, okay, I'm going to join Jesus' band. Jesus is now popular, right? We know that from the early part of Matthew. So he throws a party. He says, it's time to party. And who's present at the party? It says that Matthew brought along his co-conspirators, I mean, his co-workers, right, from the tax booth, not co-conspirators, that's how they would have viewed it, brought along the sinners, you know, this designation of sinners doesn't liken itself to a really positive, you know, picture of these individuals, these are unseemly fellows, these are not the pious and the righteous that are partying there with Matthew and Jesus, you know, these are sort of the folks that are really dominating Main Street on Saturday night, you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, geez, I go out on Main Street on Saturday night, and you know what I mean, right? I mean, you might be one of those folks. Jesus hung out with you, all right? You're good. We're good, right? I mean, there's a perception around these guys. That's why they're called sinners. But it appears like these individuals have created what looks like an alternate community of Capernaum rejects. You know, when they throw a party together, they're not inviting all the religious individuals. They're inviting the tax collectors and the sinners. They got a crew and it's now gathered around Jesus. That's a problem for the strict religion of the Pharisees. Because table fellowship was not something that was just sort of transitory, superficial. No, this was a symbol in Jewish culture of intimate relationship and friendship. And in fact, it had spiritual implications for the Pharisees. They really believed. A lot of thought during that time was that if you were a righteous person, a religious person, and you went and dined in the house of a sinner, you were ritually unclean. Okay, you were put into the place where that person's sin was somehow contagious, and you had now been tainted by it. You could not now go to the temple and provide your offerings to God. Effectively, in their eyes, Jesus could no longer worship God in the state that he was in. That's why they have that question to Jesus' disciples. Why is it that your teacher, all right, you can already see the distance kind of widening from last week, right? They're separating themselves from Jesus. Why is it that your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? It's obvious in that ancient world that Matthew and his friends had been canceled by the religious establishment, right? They were irredeemable in the eyes of the religious. They were as damned as the demons, right? I mean, they were going to be eternally separated from God. They were ready to declare it right then. These guys are as damned as the demons, dehumanized, 
and disregarded. And many still are, even today. You see, we human beings, we create definitions and labels that we place on people to divide ourselves from them. It creates an us and them mentality. It allows us to demonize people. You know, oh, you're a pro-vaxxer? Oh, you're an anti-vaxxer? Oh, you're a pro-masker? Oh, you're an anti-masker? Oh, you know, you're a Marxist traitor. Well, you're a capitalist pig. You're a part of Black Lives Matter? You're a part of All Lives Matter? You voted for who? All these different labels, all these definitions allow us to discard people and dehumanize people. To damn people as if they were demons. Jesus moved past these labels. He moved past these judgments by joining himself to the demonized for a meal. Now, do you guys think Jesus didn't know what he was doing here? Do you think that he didn't understand that there would be these perceptions by the establishment regarding his behavior? To not only invite a man that was working for an enemy government, but to then spend time and have fellowship with a bunch of sinners. He was on his way to being looked at as the chief demon, drunkard, to be damned to death, like the rest of them, right? I mean, he was going to get elevated in their eyes to that sort of level. I think we can all agree when we read this passage that Jesus was reckless with his reputation. He was reckless with his reputation. Doesn't he know what he's doing here? Of course he knows what he's doing here, but he was reckless with his reputation. Now, I want you to know he never compromised his holiness for a moment. Not even for one moment did he compromise his holiness, but he never played the fiddle for people's skewed perceptions of him. He didn't need the approval of the establishment because he had something the establishment didn't have, God's approval. He didn't need the approval of the establishment because he had something the establishment didn't have. That was God's approval. And it's the same today. It's exactly the same today. You know, let me say it again. Jesus was reckless with his reputation. You know why? Because he cared more about people, all people, than he cared about the politics of his time. He cared more about people all people, then he cared about playing to the perceptions of his critics. He cared more about people, all people, than playing to man's empty religion, which was saying at that time, you can't associate with these people. You can't talk to these people. These people are going to make you unclean. Whereas we human beings can be cold and calculated and ready to condemn, Jesus demonstrated God's righteous patience to allow all people, no matter their background, their origin, their associations, he was allowing all people to enter into a process of spiritual discovery regarding him. You know, for all these outsiders in the establishment, they say, you're either in or you're out, and guess what? I've already figured it out, you're out. In God's patience, and Jesus demonstrated this wonderfully, he allowed people, no matter their background, or their current associations to enter into a process of spiritual discovery. That's indicated in Jesus' response to their critique. He says it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. 
Jesus was effectively saying, these people don't need to be euthanized. They need to be nursed. These aren't some rodents, spiritual rodents that need eliminating. These are folks in need of a doctor's care. And he gives them a little Bible study to work through. Hey, here's a little inspiring verse for you to put on a post-it on your bathroom mirror. Okay, take this verse away and, and study this one. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. It's the repudiation of God to the Israelites hundreds of years earlier. God had said to them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, pin that up on your mirror. Why don't you look at that one? You go away, and when you figure out what that verse means, then you can come back to me, and you can understand why I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, at this point, they thought following God was all about the right confessions, being on the right side of the political divide, I'm in the right group, offering the right sacrifices, attending the synagogue. They thought that was their religion. Oh, but they were doing all those things, and yet at the same time, absolutely devoid of God's heart. They had no mercy to anybody else. You know, they were talking heads about the religious rules, but they were empty regarding God's true desires. And Jesus was exposing that before everybody watching. God had said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In simple terms, God is saying, I want you to help hurting people. That's what's conveyed in that word mercy. I want you to help hurting people, not perform these religious routines. And Jesus was a perfect depiction of God's desires. Now, the question for us today is, are we a depiction of God's desires? We can bring all the sacrifices in the world. We can have all the right confessions. We can say we're on the right side of all the political divides. But if we aren't helping the hurting, then we've got some studying to do. We've got some studying to do, just like Jesus told them, go away and figure out what this means. No doubt this approach was new, this was different, this was disruptive in the times. It's still disruptive when you live it today. If you care about people more than human agendas, you will be demonized. You'll be hated for caring about people more than worldly agendas. So it's still disruptive to this day, but it wasn't the only disruptive part of Jesus' ministry. Uh, you know, that we see here in this passage. In verse 13, we get done with the Pharisees' critique, and now John the Baptist's disciples, they show up and give a critique as well. Okay, I mean, it's wonderful how a group of people can always find a little something wrong in a lot of good, right? We can find something wrong with what Jesus is doing here. A lot of great things happening, all these sinners being welcomed to the kingdom of God. But here's these nitpicky stuff. So, you know, for John's followers... It wasn't the association that Jesus had with these tax collectors and sinners because John was preaching to these sort of folks. These were the guys that were getting baptized and responding to his message of spiritual change out in the wilderness. So they got the association. They go, okay, Jesus, I know what you're up to. It wasn't Jesus' purpose that they were critiquing. It was his practice. They're saying, well, hey, wait a minute. You guys are here at Matthew's house. And you guys are partying and feasting. Why is it you guys feast? When John taught us, the most spiritual thing to do is to deprive yourself. It's to fast. And Jesus, you're saying, no, indulge. Why is that? Well, the answer is one that should help us 
all of us anticipate the kingdom of God with a lot of joy and expectation. Because Jesus says, how can my followers fast when the bridegroom is present among them? Basically, what he's saying is, the most spiritual thing that you can do when you're in the presence of Jesus is not deprive yourself, but to feast. Can you believe that? I mean, that's what we have awaiting us in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of Jesus, the most spiritual and appropriate thing to do is to indulge in joy. So he goes, how can they fast? I'm here. You know, and, and when he's talking about this you know, metaphor of a wedding, I want you guys to know this isn't like an Orange County, four-hour, six-figure, Instagram, you know, curated wedding. It's all pageantry, okay? When he's using this metaphor of this bridegroom, in ancient Jewish culture, this is something that would go on for days and days and days, the celebration. In Jewish culture, there was no social equivalent to this high-water mark of joy and partying and fun. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's going to be like for everybody who's invited into my eternal kingdom. It's going to look like that all the time. But he says, even so, there's a day that's coming. I'm going to be taken away. And at that point, it is going to be important for my disciples to deprive themselves, to fast, because they're going to need those spiritual eyes so they don't make the same mistake of the Pharisees and lose sight of something like Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We're going to have to stay focused. We're going to need to be prayerfully preparing ourselves in anticipation of Jesus' return. But even with this clarification regarding Jesus' approach and that of his followers, it's really clear that all along his ministry, he was throwing off religious conventions and social expectations. God was doing a new work in his kingdom. And that's the whole purpose of that final teaching. He says, look, my approach is different. It's new. You, you know, you can't take you know, a piece of unshrunk cloth and attach it to an old garment. If you do, the two are going to rip away and destroy that garment. You know, you can't take this new wine that I'm bringing, the kingdom of God, and put it into these old containers, these old methods and old ways, because it's like these dried out uh, wineskins, you know, that are, that are cracked and, you know, the wine goes in there, it's going to continue to ferment and it's going to bust the container open and the two things are going to be ruined. So God has new goals in the world that he's unleashing and there's going to be new methods that go along with it. And I actually believe that we're entering an era where we're needing new wineskins to accompany the eternally new wine of Jesus and his kingdom. I think we're entering a time where we need new methods to accommodate the same kingdom that has been coming all these thousands of years. Because when I look around, we're actually ending up back in the world of Jesus. The traitors and sinners are being damned all over again. And the critics and the skeptics among us are looking really closely to find anyone who's going to step out of turn even for one moment. The love of people has been lost in the love of politics. Nation has taken the place over God's kingdom. The love of people has been lost in man's religion. God said, I desire mercy. I desire mercy not sacrifice. Many sacrifices are being offered across this nation, but mercy is scarce. 
We need to be the disciples who care more for people than we care about the agendas of this world. We need to be those disciples that care more about people, like Jesus did, than the agendas of this world. Our reputation be damned in the eyes of other people if it means that more souls are going to be saved. If it means more souls will be saved. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to help hurting people. I want our desires to be aligned with the desires of Christ. The only way that's ever going to happen is if we're praying, is if we're fasting, if we're seeking the Holy Spirit to align our desires with the heart of Jesus. Because the hearts of these folks were being pulled a million different directions by all the agendas. This different purpose, this different practice. No different today. If we're going to come into alignment with Christ, it's going to come by dependence on the Holy Spirit, by receiving this invitation given us in His Word. Let's seek that together in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we step into this moment of attuning our hearts to you, to the dynamic guidance of your Holy Spirit. We are first filled with gratitude. No matter how challenging to our presumptions this message may be, the very fact that you dined with tax collectors and sinners is the reason why we're even invited to your kingdom, to that great wedding feast. Lord, if you didn't have this desire to help hurting people, sick people, then where would we be today? Where would we be for all of eternity? Lord, if you had the mindset of the Pharisees, why, we'd all be damned. No one would experience salvation, for we're all sinners. We all need you and your care. So, Lord, we are grateful. We declare you're good, better than we can possibly imagine, concentrated in mercy. And we are, first of all, the beneficiaries of it. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be those who never lose sight of our role to continue forward that ministry of which we are the beneficiaries. Lord, would we move through all the labels and definitions and judgments and condemnation and the damnation that's going on around us. Lord, while people are still alive, they're not yet damned. May we have the space to allow people with a posture of patience to process who you are that we could be an open door for those, no matter their background, no matter their associations. Could, could we be the entryway into fellowship with your people, with you ultimately most of all, Jesus? Think of the great grace of your cross. We're the recipients. Lord, let us be those who are sharing it. God, would you call to mind someone? Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a group that we label. Would you call to mind those folks that we've written off, that we've set aside, that we've condemned, 
because of where they're at, because of what they say, what their affirmations are. Lord, call them to mind. Lord, we can see their sins piled high and we want to condemn them. Lord, you could choose to see all our sins and condemn us. But yet you've moved toward us in a posture of mercy. Lord, how could we move toward these people? A group of people, an individual we know in mercy. Jesus, we believe it only comes by your Holy Spirit that we have that capacity. So stir up that mercy in us that's akin to your heart. you to stand as we continue to pray. I, there's no reason why when we worship, we, didn't, we stop praying. It's all a prayer. Consider the great mercy of our God toward us. Consider the mercy he wants to extend through us. Let's ask for the continued guidance of the Holy Spirit to know where it is that we're to go to extend that mercy. Let's worship him together this morning. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.